Man, it's good to be back. So, uh, so does anybody besides me have trouble remembering things? Anybody? Okay. See, because I'm sure right now as I stand here, there are literally dozens of things in my life that, that I've forgotten. At least I, I think so anyway. I'm just not exactly sure because I don't remember. But I know that doesn't happen to any of you guys. Uh, but I, I did, I did the read a story. Uh, of, you, might, you might find this... Uh, something you can relate to, of a husband and wife who were having trouble remembering things, so they, they went to the doctor to get checked out, and the doctor examined them both and, and told them they were, they were both physically uh, okay, but since memory loss is a normal part of aging, they you know, may just want to start writing things down. Well, they were, were both really relieved, and they thanked the doctor for her suggestion, and, and they both agreed they'd try it. So later that night, they're sitting together, they're watching television, and the the man got up from his chair and he headed to the kitchen and his wife said, Honey, uh, while you're out there, would you get me a bowl of ice cream? He said, Sure. Uh, the wife said, Well, don't you think you ought to write it down like the doctor said so you won't forget? And so now, just, you know, slightly annoyed as, as we husbands get, he said, I am not going to forget a simple thing like ice cream. Uh, the wife said, Yeah, but I, I want butter pecan, so you better at least write that down or you'll bring me the wrong flavor. And the man said, I can remember butter pecan ice cream. The wife said, well, but, but I want whipped cream on top. You, you really better write this down. And so now getting a little bit madder, the husband said, I can remember butter pecan ice cream and whipped cream on top. The wife said, yeah, but I, I want two cherries on top of it too. I'm telling you, you need to write this down. And now really, really mad, the husband says, honey, I can remember butter pecan ice cream with whipped cream on top and two cherries. And he fumed off into the kitchen. 20 minutes goes by. Husband comes back. He's carrying a plate that has on it two scrambled eggs, a side of bacon, slice of toast. The wife stares at the plate in disbelief. She rolls her eyes and said, I told you to write down what I wanted or you would file it up. Where's the orange juice? <laughs> that's going to be my life someday right and you, you know we can laugh at that though but i uh what i really want to ask you is did you ever stop to think about all the times that we forget to remember the things of god in the midst of our hectic lives Amen. we fail to call to mind his goodness and his provision and uh, and we completely if, if we're honest, maybe more often than we'd like to admit, we let his redeeming work through Christ just slip our minds, especially as we tune into the, the nightly news feed of, of fear and disinformation that keeps our attention so constantly tied up in knots. And honestly, that's easy for it to happen to all of us from time to time, but I want to ask you something else. Have you ever wondered what God remembers when he thinks about you? You ever wonder what God remembers when he thinks about you? That's a tougher question, right? And I want us to talk about uh, where those kind of two ideas mesh together about what we forget and about what God remembers because I think one of our greatest barriers to knowing God better may be in realizing how much better God knows us than we know him and he still loves us anyway. I don't want to say that to you again. I think maybe one of our greatest barriers to knowing God better 
may be in realizing how much better God knows us than we know Him, and yet He still loves us. And that's where Psalm 103 comes in this morning because it reveals so clearly what God thinks of you and me when He sees us. And not just when He looks down on us sitting here in, in church this morning, but in the whole overview of our lives from those first uh, precious moments of our fledgling faith in Him to His, his, his recollection of our life's greatest failures and everything in between. So if you've ever found yourself wondering what God really thinks about you, let's take a look at Psalm 103 together, uh, open His Word together, and ask the Holy Spirit to help us hear uh, this soul-stirring, faith-building, fantastically unforgettable message that is Psalm 103. This is superscribed of David. And David writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we ask You to, in these next few moments, to open our eyes to see wondrous things in Your Word that we have just read. Open our ears to hear Your still, small voice speaking to us. And, uh, and through this message, Lord, open our minds and cleanse our thoughts by Your Holy Spirit. And let us see Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So what does God remember when he thinks about you and me? Well, first of all, we read he remembers that we're oppressed. And, and not in the way that the whole alphabet squad claims to be oppressed. You guys know the alphabet squad, right? The BLM and LGBTQ and, and all the nutcases running around out there that really just need a good old-fashioned J-O-B. Right? Now David, 
David is talking about real oppression, oppression that's common to all of us, whether we're a man or a woman, whether we're black or white, whether we're young or old, and that's the oppression of sin and death. And that's why he preceded that line with those three great rhetorical questions. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Uh, because those kinds of oppressions don't discriminate, do they? They're common to all of us, regardless of where we live or, or what we look like. Because in one way or another, we all find ourselves the victims of sin and sickness in this world as we all make our inevitable downward slide into the grave. Have I cheered you up yet? No? Well, that's kind of the point, really, that David is making in this psalm, because until we know the bad news, we can't really appreciate the goodness of the good news. I think, think about it like this. like You probably wouldn't really appreciate me bursting into your house in the middle of the night and dragging you outside in your PJs, would you? I mean, unless, of course, though, you first understood that your house was on fire. <laughs> you might feel pretty differently then, right? I mean, you, hey, you may even thank me. Uh, and in the same way, though, if we don't realize what a wreck we are on the inside without God's divine intervention, we won't really appreciate just how wonderful His mercy is when the chips are down. But praise God, here in Psalm 103, we're told confidently where our hope and our help comes from. And it's from the God that David says this morning takes the side of the weak. He's saying he, he keeps his eyes on the helpless and that when we're hurting, his heart is moved to remember how much we need his healing. And whether that be physical or, or spiritual. And that he then, in David's words this morning, works righteousness and justice for us. And when you hear that, you, you might be thinking, well, hey, Pastor, I heard you say before none of us really wants justice because the Bible says the wages of sin is death and hell and, hey, I'm, I'm a sinner. I, I've committed sins. And I don't want any of that kind of justice. Thank you. And you're right. I, I did say that and, and that is all true, but it's not the whole story because Psalm 103 also invites us to remember it's God in Christ who does the work of justice and who freely gives the gift of righteousness to all that are his. That's why we read in, in verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And what we're talking about is not just a feeling that God has toward us. It, it's, not, it's not empathy on his part. It's not just a, a distant clinical intellectual insight into our life's issues without him actually sharing in them. And it's more than mere sympathy for our misfortunes, but rather we're talking about the idea of God's faithful love in action. That's what the psalmist is talking about when he says the Lord is gracious. Right? Anybody know the definition of grace when it's used in connection with God? Amen. Okay. Right? So grace is quite simply, and that, that was an say it again. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a great acronym for grace. Yeah, because thank you guys. Because quite simply Grace is God actively choosing to purchase the pardon of the undeserving. It's Him actively choosing to purchase the pardon of the undeserving. And that's a theme that plays out all throughout the Scripture, but I want you to look at just one with me. This is a really familiar one. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And Paul says, And you were dead 
in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature creatures of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. No one, not anyone. And how many is that? None. None, right. We've got nothing to boast about because in a pure act of unmerited mercy, the holy God of heaven and earth chose to cancel our sin debt and not just cancel it, but to forget it ever existed by sacrificing his perfect son in our place to provide us a righteousness we could never earn and to grant us a forgiveness that we don't deserve. And he does it in the most upside down way that any mind could conceive. Now listen to this. By intentionally remembering our sins as belonging to Christ and recalling his righteousness as being ours. Sounds pretty crazy, right? The Apostle Paul thought so too. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. He said, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 13, For if we are beside ourselves, in some of your versions, if you're looking at the NIV, says, uh, if we're crazy, if we're crazy, it's for God's sake, but if we're in our right mind, it's for you. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And somebody better say amen. Thank you, Bill. See, that's what the reformers were talking about, and they, they called it the great exchange. Luther and Calvin both talked about it, where the worst about me was unfairly laid on Christ, and the best about him, his holiness, and his perfect life of active obedience is now graciously applied to me and to you if you're in him, because, brothers and sisters, when he saves, he saves completely. When he forgives, he forgives all of our sins. Psalm 103 declares, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Right, can, you, can you just start in that verse to really catch a vision of the vastness of God's love? Do you know, when we, when we consider the heavens, astronomers tell us that the farthest known light source from the earth is 10, 10 billion light years away. They tell us we live in just a tiny little corner of the universe and that our universe is vast beyond our comprehension. But this psalm is telling us that God's love is greater and vaster and deeper and higher and broader and bigger than all the spatial dimensions of the universe itself. So, so even if you get in a, a rocket equipped with any sort, any sci-fi fans... Star Trek fans, right? Okay. You get in a, 
spaceship. Equip it with any sort of sci-fi system. You can fly at warp speed if you want to, right? Go as far as you can go to the end of the known universe and beyond. And when you've gone as far as you can go, God's love is still going because you'll never reach the end of it. And this verse also shows us the wideness of God's love, not just the height. Uh, let's suppose you, you want to try to travel east and, until you reach the west. So you take off from Tampa in a hot air balloon and you follow your compass. And, and after months and, and months of flight, besides circumnavigating the globe, what will you have proved? Well, among other things, you'll prove that no matter how far you follow your compass east, you're never going to get to a point where it reads west. That's the magnitude of God's love. And this is good news for the sinners of the world like me because it means when God forgives and separates us from our sins, He takes those sins and He puts them so far away from us that they're gone forever. And those pardoned sins can never come back to haunt me. And even though Satan may like to remind you and me of them from time to time and whisper accusations in our ears, all of those things, if we are in Christ, are like an autumn leaf that's dropped loose from a tree and just as quickly forgotten. Because God remembers what we're really like. He doesn't carry around an idealized version in his mind of you and me like we so often do of ourselves and of those that we love. No, we read this morning, he, he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. He remembers that as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field and the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. Did you ever go back to a place and you didn't know anybody that you remembered and nobody remembered you? Yeah. Its place remembers it no more. But God does. God knows it. He remembers. Everybody on planet earth may forget you ever existed, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him. And the message of the psalmist is even though we grow old and our physical bodies fade and eventually decay like those autumn leaves, that that's not all there is. I mean, think about it. If, if we're just here today and, and gone tomorrow, if that's the end of the story, then there isn't much hope there. But instead, we find God's tender mercy and His unfailing love and His abounding grace. And in a passing world where everything that we thought we knew just six months ago seems to be fading away, we have the promise that we are firmly linked to the future even after we die because of the faithfulness of God. You know, somebody has said that uh, life without Christ is a hopeless end, but life with Christ is an endless hope. And that's what Psalm 103 is telling us. It's telling us we're richer than we think, that we're more blessed than we know, we're more loved then we realize, and we have found that love, or rather I guess I should say that love has found us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on Calvary, on the cross, on that, that one place, the only place. And I'm never going to get tired of telling you this. <clears throat> that one place where God's perfect righteousness and his relentless love for us meet and are reconciled. There at the cross where God's justice was perfectly administered and his mercy publicly displayed when God took upon himself the punishment meant for the guilty, for us, for me. And where Jesus Christ called out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lord, Father, have you forgotten me? And he did that for you and for me for no other reason than that he loved us. In spite of the horrible price that it cost him 
to establish the means for guilty human beings to be reconciled to him without one ounce of guilt being swept under the rug or one bit of justice unserved or one drop of mercy wasted because of what Jesus endured for us. And brothers and sisters, if that message of the good news doesn't melt your heart, I feel sorry for you. I do. Because I know what that message has done for me. And we have the testimony of what it did for David because as he realizes all that's been done for him, he closes this psalm with a beautiful, powerful doxology meant to, to stir the souls of every living creature from the hosts of heaven to the hearts of every man and woman gathered here today. And he prays, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his work, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all of his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So will you bless him today, believers? <clears throat> will you bless him for the great salvation that he has blessed you with and the grace that he has given you. And, and for you others, for those who, who may not yet know the height and the, the breadth and the depth of the love of this Jesus we've been talking about, I, I say to you in, in his name today, repent and believe the gospel. Believe the gospel of God's amazing grace because you may never get another chance. And the Lord is, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in steadfast love, but you all heard me read, he will not chide forever and he won't chase after you forever. And so as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, at a favorable time I listened to you. In the day of salvation I've helped you. Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And guys, you don't, have to, you don't have to raise your hand, you don't have to walk down an aisle. In fact, you don't have to do anything but just give up and stop running. And so as we pray, ask Jesus to work his righteousness in you. Ask him not to, to deal with you according to your sins, but to take them away. Take them away as high as the heavens are above the earth and as far as the east is from the west so that when you leave here today, you won't forget what God remembers about you. And even better, you won't have to keep reminding yourself of all the stuff he's promised to forget if you'll just give up and give in and give over to him. Will you do that as we come to the table? Let's pray together. God, our Father, uh, it's our greatest joy always and everywhere to give you thanks and praise, especially, though, Lord, in this Holy Supper, recalling that perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ and asking you by the joy of his resurrection and expectation of his coming again that you unite us in your truth and love so that we can confess your name and sit together at one table. And so come now, Lord, and continue your transforming work in this place and in this time that eyes may be opened, that hearts may be radically changed by the good news of the gospel. And so remembering now your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine, and we ask you to pour out your spirit upon us and upon these your gifts, that this meal may be for us a communion with our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.